0: This is the Off Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. Here's your host, Drew Dalby. Hello, my name's Tyler Middleton. I do X Mornings alongside Lynch on X 929 in Calgary.
1: Tyler, when did you know that you wanted to do this crazy little radio thing?
0: See, everyone that I, you have on the show always has like a defining moment. It seems like I didn't have a defining moment that was like, I want to get into radio. That's exactly what I want to do. I know one hundred percent what I'm going to do. I was just like in high school, and I, I always enjoyed listening to the radio, and I always just enjoyed entertainment in general. Like I've always been a comedy fan, a music fan, a, anyone that could entertain me in whatever way, I enjoyed. Um, and then it came time to, like, apply to school and do all that kind of stuff, and I was like, I don't know what to do, and then I was flipping through a book, and I saw radio, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I like to talk a lot. It's pretty annoying. I'd probably do that. So I uh, applied, and Once I got into the radio program was really the moment when I realized how much I loved it. It was after I'd already gone to school and paid my tuition and everything. It was like, well, I hope I like this because I don't know if I will. And then once I did that, I was like, poof. I really like this. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to work hard at this because I enjoy doing it. And uh, so I guess I kind of got lucky in that sense. But the thing I decided to go to school for, I didn't waste money on like a lot of people end up doing.
1: See, you say you don't have Uh, a defining moment, but clearly your defining moment was looking through that course guide. What if somebody had ripped out the page with radio on it? What if the pages had stuck together? You could be a carpenter right now.
0: Yeah. Well, that was my backup plan in life was to be a cabinet maker. <laughs> it's like cabinet maker or radio host. So either I sit alone in a wood shop with a bunch of machines, or I sit alone in a room with a microphone. Basically, I think I just like to be alone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is a shame you had to give up that sweet cabinet money, though. Oh, yeah. Super good cabinet making money. Where did you end up going to radio school?
0: Uh, I went to radio school at Humber College in Toronto. Uh, I went for... Uh, just the radio broadcasting program there. I was in it for a year and a half, and then I ended up leaving before I ever ended up finishing. Um, and I, to be perfectly honest, I still don't know if I've graduated. Uh, I never got a diploma, I never got anything like that, but they told me I did, but then I never got it. So I think I graduated, but I'm not 100% sure. I <laughs> get a resume for me and it says that I graduated on it, just know that that might be maybe a lie, I'm just not really sure.
1: I'm in the exact same boat. I went to Nate, and I did everything, but I never really went back after I started working in the industry, and I have no idea if I'm an official graduate or if they like if I'm missing something.
0: Yeah, well, they had the option to like job out once you got a job, so that's what I did. But then once you jobbed out, you had to write a couple essays and stuff just to, I don't know, it was an essay about how your job relates to your program, and I was like, I'm on the radio, and it's the radio program, what do you mean? <laughs> but um, So I wrote the essays and everything, but then I just never got the actual diploma. So I think I graduated, but I'm not 100% sure.
1: So when you skipped out of radio school, where did you end up?
0: That's when I moved to Wainwright, Alberta. And uh, not too far from Lloyd, where you were. And that's when I started working at Wayne FM. That was my first job with my own show. And getting paid to be on the air.
1: Yes, I do. I do uh, have fond memories of you being the competition, son of a bitch.
0: I remember it. The first time you tweeted at me, you called me out on something. I forget what I said. I made fun of something on Twitter, and you tweeted at me and called me out on it. And I was like, what an asshole. I hate <laughs> that Dalby guy. What a prick. <laughs> and, then, and then I ended up meeting you in person. I was like, oh, okay, he's a good guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am a dick on Twitter. but. So what, what was the draw to Wainwright? Was it just the availability of a job? Because to go from Toronto to Wainwright, Alberta is a hell of a trek.
0: Yeah, I kind of had a weird, had a weird venture, like, actually before I got into radio school, like when I was applying and stuff, that's when radio really started for me, because I went and sat in on a show with Fearless Fred when he was doing Afternoons on the Edge. And sitting in with him, like, that moment, like, that couple hours that I spent in that studio with him was, like, super informative, because the guy is obviously one of the best, and also one of the brightest, and one of the nicest guys, too, and he's willing to help people out, which is why he's helped me out all the way through, and it's been fantastic. But uh, he was there, and he he explained to me, like, right from the get-go, before I was even in radio school, that, like, you need to go somewhere where they're actually going to let you talk, where you're actually going to get to do stuff. And uh, so I was doing my internship and stuff, and then I was doing my internship in Niagara, and then I got a call. I was just applying to basically everything that was on Milkman, like most radio students. And I got a call from Jeff Murray, the program director at the time, and he was flying into Toronto for CMW. And he asked to meet up for a coffee, and we met up for a coffee, and he was like, well, what do you think about coming to Wainwright? And I was like, I'm in. And the show's six hours, so that's a ton of mic time. Plus, they let me voice track. Let me voice track. <laughs> um, they let me voice track six hours at another station up in Lac La Biche. So I was getting 12 hours of mic time a day. And it was like, that's exactly what I needed. It was that experience of just that much talking, that much show time every day, five days a week and it just really helped me grow and come to my own. And it was a cool building, as small and weird as Wainwright can be. Wainwright was a great place to learn because Jeff Murray, the program director at the time, was working out of Cold Lake, which is a few hours away, if you don't know the area. Uh, So he wasn't down all that often, so it was kind of just all like this group of young, just starting out radio guys in the building. And uh, we all got along really well, and we all could kind of, just experiment and try different things and not have to worry about getting harped on because Jeff wasn't there. And not that I think Jeff would have harped on us even if he was there, but when you're nervous and just starting out, not having your boss breathing down your neck, for me at least, was like really, really helpful. So I think Wainwright was great for that. Just it let me... Try new things and not be scared to screw up because I was like, ah, oh, we're in Wainwright. So I'm not overly concerned, but it let me experiment and come up with ideas and stuff that I still do today that I started doing my show in Wainwright.
1: It is interesting because when you talk to people who've been in radio for a while, including like instructors at radio schools, they'll tell you how cutthroat it is and like, oh, yeah, there's always somebody coming after your job. And it's terrifying the concept that at any time if you screw up, There's this fleet of people that will take your job away and then you're not doing this anymore. So I could see how, yeah, having that sort of that freedom, that space to find your gimmick on the radio, I could see how that would definitely be comforting.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. It was like Wainwright, I wasn't there very long, but my time at Wainwright was was really when I started to develop my on-air personality, exactly what my show was going to be like. That's when I started. And then once I moved on from there is when I had that already kind of set and then I had great people to coach me along with that. But until you have that idea and you know exactly what your thing is going to be, I guess, um, until you know that, it's hard for someone to really coach you because it's they can teach you and they can teach you and they can teach you, but they can't tell you how to be yourself. So until you can figure out how you're going to be yourself on the air, it's tough for me at least to get coached into something. So it gave me a good place for a couple months to come up with my idea, to get comfortable, to figure out my gimmick, I guess, if you want to call it. And then once I moved on and I moved to Edmonton, Sarah Parker was my PD there. And then it was great because then she was there to coach me with that and help me work on that and really help me develop. Because, I mean, I was pretty green when I moved to Edmonton. I only had five months on-air experience. So Parker would sit down with me once a week and air check me and coach me and not in like a, you have to do this or you can't do this way because I don't really learn well that way. But in a, just a helpful, try this, what about this? She never got me in trouble when I screwed something up. Like she, she Obviously, she'd tell me if something was wrong, but she's not going to sit there and berate me for screwing something up. She'd be like, well, that didn't work, so don't do it again. <laughs> and I'd be right. like, all right, yeah. So it, uh, I learned a lot in Wainwright, but it was just more through experiment, trial and error type thing.
1: Getting the mic time under your belt, and then you said you moved to Edmonton. That was at Hot 107. Uh, which at the time was just coming under the Harvard umbrella. I'm pretty sure it had been bought. out was independent before that. It was just starting to go into ratings, just starting to hire on a lot more personalities throughout the day parts. So while you weren't necessarily there at launch, you were certainly part of the station becoming more of a real radio station.
0: Yeah, it was... Uh It was an interesting vibe. It wasn't, I can't, I couldn't tell you the exact amount of time, but it wasn't long after Harvard took over. And I mean, up until that point, when Harvard took over, like the station had DJs and some pretty talented DJs, but not necessarily on air personalities. So, like, they didn't have a morning show for the whole time. So, Ryder was their first morning show, even though the station had been on the air for however long it was different in the sense that it was kind of like starting a new station. Like everybody there was a new company, knew everybody. And there were some people that were there from before. But by the time I got there, most of the people that had worked on hot when it was independent, or most of them were cleared out and it was all new Harvard staff. And, uh, so it was, kind of, it was kind of like building the station, but not really. But uh, it was cool working there. I learned a lot. I'm hot. Like, that was a big job for me. I was five months out of radio school, and then I get the call to go do evenings in Edmonton, and I was like, holy crap, all right. So I go, and Parker was amazing, and, like, that's a great building. Like, Ryders, I listened to Ryder forever. So, like, I remember being super nervous. So, like, the first time I met Ryder, I was like, oh, my God, I get to meet Ryder. This is going to be the coolest. And then I met Ryder. and I'm like, oh, just rider um, <laughs> <laughs> he's a great guy and but i mean guys like that like i learn a lot from those guys like i don't i, I learn in a weird way like I, I but i found a way to teach myself stuff more than anything just by listening to other people and they don't necessarily know that they're teaching me lessons but when we're just hanging out having beers and talking about radio like i pick up on things from people like that like there's stuff to learn just from the way they carry themselves and the way they live their life And there's uh, stuff to learn from everybody. So I just kind of analyze people. I'm kind of creepy. And then I just learn from them. And uh, so HOT was a great building for that, too.
1: Absorbing their
0: knowledge. Exactly. Stealing their knowledge. (laughs) Let's not call it absorbing.
1: (laughs) Now, you did also, while you were at HOT, if I'm not mistaken, you got to do some of the the, the shifts with the live DJ mixing?
0: Yeah, which is the first time I ever did that. I also got to do live airs from the club
1: if you're coming up and you're going to a major market and sort of the top 40 hit music station is your goal, those evening and weekend shifts, you're going to end up doing that. So for people who are listening to this that are, are sort of thinking that's the career path they want, what was it like to be working with a DJ and working out of a club?
0: It's it's a different vibe. Uh, it's, it's interesting. It, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge because you have to be very short and quick but you still want to be boring like I hate I hate being boring I hate like I hate I never want to be a liner jock that's just reading the sponsor for that show you know what I mean like I never wanted to be that guy and it's so it's tough to fit quick entertaining bits in during a mix show. But what helped for that was I really got along with the DJ. We were really good friends. DJ Hershey G was the same of the DJ on my show. He's not there anymore. But we really got along so it made it a bit easier because he was willing to actually stop down and, you know, loop music for a little bit so we could do something. But we would just do it together. And we kind of became like we had a two-person show for that hour on the air, and he didn't have very much on-air experience either, other than DJing, and when the host would bring him on. So we both kind of got to just goof around and have fun, and it helped that we were both young guys, and just like he was still in university, and he's a young early 20s guy, and so was I. So we get along really well. And then when it came to the, so that was like the Monday through Friday mix show type thing. The Friday club thing, though, like that was that's it's tough. It's live to airs are tough to do. I Well, they're easy to do, but they're tough to make entertain. So finding that, that balance of what, what can I do in this club? What can I, what, like I've heard live airs, but how can I do a live air differently? was well, kind of the challenge. And, uh, I like those challenges, though. It gives me a different thing to experiment with, a different thing to try and work at. So, you know, instead of just sitting in the DJ booth and doing the show from there, like, grab the Reported app and go do a break from the bathroom. Go, like, go do something weird. Like, you're there. There's a whole bunch of new stuff where you never get to do radio. So experiment with all the people around you. You know what I mean? Find the drunk guy and bring him on and hope he doesn't swear. Like, do something that's going to be entertaining. Go out in the lineup and do a break from out there. Like, you don't have to sit in that booth. Like, with the technology the way it is nowadays, why would you? So it was kind of fun to do because it was just like, all right, well, here I get to do radio in a completely different way than I've ever done radio before. And it's tough, but that challenge can be fun if you make it worth it.
1: Do you have any club stories that are... uh, Whatever, we're on the Internet. Just share them. (laughs) I was going to say that are PG enough to share, but...
0: Well, there's not too many crazy stories. I remember, I don't know if I should tell the story, but we, uh, one of the first live airs, we had a big staff party uh, with a bunch of the on-air guys uh And producers and stuff, everybody from the station came down. I think it was their second live there from a certain club. And they were just, like, bringing us bottle service and tons of bottles and blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the night, like, we all just kind of took off because we all just kind of assumed it was free because none of us asked for any of it. They just kept bringing it to us. And they were bringing us, like, Dom Perignon. Like, no radio guy can afford Dom Perignon. But they're bringing us that, and then at the end of the night, we all left. And then on Monday, we go in, and they build the station for, like, a $1,900 liquor bill. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, uh, A, if they ask me to pay it back, there's not a chance I can afford that. B, like, that's a lot of booze. Like, I don't know if we should have drank that much. (laughs) But uh, it was all after the show, of course. Oh, for um, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely, 100%. But, uh, (laughs) um... That was probably, like, the scariest story. Like, that's not even a fun story. That was like, uh-oh. Like, I think I might be in a lot of trouble for this one. But uh luckily, we got it all figured out, and our boss up there was pretty cool about everything. And the club was pretty understanding when we explained that. We didn't even order them. I just kept bringing this to them. <laughs> like, we didn't know.
1: You didn't know you were bawling that hard.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I honestly, I don't drink champagne. Like, there's not a <laughs> part of me that would have ever wanted to order Dom Perignon. So I can guarantee you, like, I didn't order that.
1: Radio people don't drink champagne because you can't get it for a buck a bottle. Exactly. If you could,
0: then maybe I'd be into it. Yeah,
1: try it out. <laughs> uh,
0: maybe they need to make, like, little airplane bottles of it that I could just steal and start testing. <laughs> get a collection of them to fill one cup.
1: Now, I've had your current boss, Christian Hall, on this show before, and I, I can't remember if we talked about you during his episode or if we talked about you while the mics weren't on, but he didn't mm-hmm. talk to me about the fact that you were an example that he gave of somebody who just consistently sent him tape and was willing to listen to his critiques. And that's what you were saying earlier is that you, you don't want to be told you're doing this wrong, be better. You want to be sort of informed on how you could be better. How did exactly. you how did that relationship you established with Christian help you make the move from Hot 107 down to X?
0: The uh Christian first off working for Christian is just a joy for a guy like me. Um because he gets he gets me and it it's really weird because we we never had to sit down and talk about it. We never had to sit down and be like this is how I need your help. Like this is what I need you to do. It we just kind of just kind of worked. Um but yeah, Christian what, What happened was when I was in college and I was still uh, getting help from Fred, Fred took my demo at the time, my college demo, and sent it to a bunch of people that he knew and he respected in the industry, and one of them happened to be Christian. And then uh, Christian emailed me back and gave me some advice and told me to keep in touch, and then he coached me along all the way. Like, he would take time out of his day to give me advice, like, every two, three weeks I would email him a new demo. And he'd be like, hey, I'm kind of busy. You just sent me one like 13 days ago. But sure, I'll listen to it and I'll give you some advice. And uh, I would just take that advice. And to be perfectly honest, you can't take every single thing that someone says and use it. And I think that's a big problem is you, you, you tell all these radio students to, to send out their demos and to take the advice and to do everything that that person says. But you shouldn't do everything that that person says. You should nitpick through what they say and find what's going to work for you out of what they say. So I had a few different PDs that were helping me out along the way, but Christian was the one that got back to me consistently, and I I would just kept in touch. And then uh, when I was at Wainwright, he would still air-check me there, and then he was like, hey, keep your eyes open, there's going to be an opening at Harvard. And then the Hot 107 job went up, and then I got that one. And then when I was there, I had... Uh, an offer from another station to go do afternoons and i had i didn't really want to leave but i mean i was only doing evenings and it was a step up and it was a big pay bump so i was like i can't i having a hard time turning this one down and he was like wait a couple weeks turn it down trust me I, I haven't lied to you yet which he hasn't he's like there's something for you i have a plan but i just can't do it yet I was like, all right, like I'm gonna trust you. And then from there, he uh, moved me down to that's was the afternoons at X, and he brought me down there. And he just has helped me. I, I have nothing but respect for the guy. That's all I can say. I, I don't really know how to explain how he's helped me. He's just helped me in a lot of ways.
1: <laughs> like you said, when you moved to Edmonton, you were five months in. It was a, a big break for you. You moved down to Calgary, and you're taking over for Lynch who's a legacy guy at that at station. And we'll talk more about Lynch in a bit because obviously he's he's come back into your life sort of uh, uh but yeah, he's my father. <laughs> how stressful was that to break into the Calgary market?
0: It it, it was a little it was stressful. It, to be honest, it was mostly just nerves built up in my own head because all these moves have happened pretty quick for me. Like my whole career so far has been quite fast-forwarded and it gets just stressful times just because it's lots of moves and like and when i start doing the show for the first time like i still get pretty nervous and i want like i want to do good you know what i mean so it's pretty i'm pretty hard on myself and uh, i think that's important but when I was going down there, it became a lot easier to do that transition. Like, I thought it was going to be difficult because Lynch had been doing after, middays and afternoons on that station since the station launched. And he's one of the most beloved radio guys in the whole city, in the whole market. And he's a great guy, and he knows a lot of people. And he's great at networking, like he- meeting a band that doesn't know Lynch or meeting someone who's higher up in a business or whatever in Calgary that doesn't know Lynch is next to impossible. Like, the guy knows everybody. So it was kind of intimidating. And uh, so when I got there, I was like, I don't know. If, I don't even know if this guy's going to like me. Like, I don't I don't know if he's, like, pumped to be getting off the air or if he, he still wants to be. Like, I didn't know the whole situation through and through. So I was like, maybe this guy's going to hate my guts. Like, I don't know. And then I got there and he had to train me. And from day one, he was awesome with me. Like, he brought me on a couple days early on his show when he was still doing it. Kind of introduced me and, like, broke me into the show a little bit. And then once I actually started doing it, I would then reverse the role and bring him on. And that made it super easy to do that transition because everybody that was like, ugh, I want Lynch back. I hate this new guy. Who was like, all right, well, Lynch loves this guy. <laughs> like, As much as they make fun of each other, you could tell that we're friends. And that really helped because all those people that necessarily didn't like my style and preferred Lynch's style were like, all right, well, if Lynch likes him, I guess he's all right. And that really helped because of Lynch's reputation in the city. So it was fantastic in that sense.
1: Got that vote of confidence that tells people at home, it's okay to be happy.
0: Yeah, well, and that's the other thing, Christian. I forget where he said this. I, I, I was, I think it was in the release when uh, we took over mornings. But he wrote Lynch and Tyler have been doing basically the afternoon show together for the last little while, and it's not because Lynch is a nice guy; it's because Tyler's needed handheld the whole way, and it's 100% true. I was, I was crapping my pants, nervous when I got afternoons. I was like, oh my god, this is a big job. That was my dream job, and to get that. At that point, I was like a year and a bit into being on, a, on the air. I was like, holy crap, I was really nervous. But to have a guy like that in your corner and have him willing to help you out all the time it was fantastic. And then the fact that we developed such a good friendship on top of that is great.
1: And now it's official. You two are basically the radio equivalent of a married couple. You're doing the morning show together after a couple more shift arounds over at X. What's that transition been like to go from the afternoons now to the morning show?
0: It's uh it's been great. It's been a lot easier than uh, I thought it was gonna be. Just for the fact, like the only thing that really sucks is the sleeping schedule. Like that, <laughs> I don't know how I'm still getting used to that. I'm still trying to figure out how to not be exhausted all the time. Um, so that's the toughest part. Besides that, the actual show, um, it was pretty smooth transition because a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we do on the show is just stuff that I used to do on the afternoon show with them, anyways so we've already been doing those bits together and then phrase and carly made it really easy i mean carly left but phrase phrase was very understanding and phrase you know, he's just a really nice guy. I don't know if you've ever met Frace, but he's just a really genuine, friendly guy. So, him like coaching me along and not coaching me, but you know, supporting me when I took over and being like, "Yeah, like I, I think you'll do a great job," and just little things like that was like, "All right, well, that means a lot, and I appreciate that." So that helped with the transition. And then working with Lynch once again is just, it's just pretty easy because we're such good friends. Like, it's it's not a forced chemistry. He's one of my best friends. It's pretty easy to do radio with someone that you really actually get along with and still want to hang out with when the show is over.
1: You talk a lot about at every station you go to, it seems you're making friends with the people in the building. But I I know you, and I know that you also make friends with people outside of the building, even if they were dicks to you on Twitter that one time. Uh, (laughs) I know for a fact that at one point you were sharing a home with not only your direct afternoon competition, but another guy, two different people that worked at other stations in the industry, it can be cutthroat and it can be a little backstabby and some companies and some people think that you have to treat other people from other stations like they're the enemy. You clearly are not one of those people.
0: I'm not one of those people to a certain extent. Like, I, I do understand. I do understand the business. and I, I understand, you know, ratings. And it's important to try and beat your competition. But at the same point in time, it, it's like playing a sport. You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the game, it doesn't – whoever won, like, you still shake hands. You know, you still have that mutual respect for each other. So I, as as competitive as I am, because I am extremely competitive, and as much as I want to win, I, I'm not going to hate somebody for wanting to beat them. You know what I mean? Like, he's doing the exact same thing. Like, why would we not respect each other type thing? So I, I get I get where people are coming from with that competitiveness, but I don't think there's any reason to actually have anything personal against somebody unless they do something personal against you. But I don't think there's a reason to have a personal grudge against somebody just because you're going head to head with them. It's like, all right, well, at the end of the game,
1: you shake hands, you have a beer and you move on. So what's your opinion? Because there are stations and companies in this country, and I'm not going to point any of them out because that's not what this is about, but there are stations (laughs) that will tell their employees specifically, you're not to fraternize with people from other stations. Do you because you say you get it from a business perspective, but you feel differently about it from a personal perspective. Do you think that that's something that companies should be allowed to tell their employees?
0: I I think that's a tough question. I I think that it's it's up to you. It's the type of person you are. If you're the type of person where if you if you can't be competitive and you can't still want to beat somebody and hang out with them, then don't because you you want to win like you need to. That's how this, it's how the business works, but if you if so if you can't hang out with them and then still want to beat them on the air then don't because you still have to beat them on the air and i understand people like that if you can't feel friendly with somebody and then not so friendly to them on the air or whatever trying to beat their ratings um then don't because you your jobs i don't know to me at my point in life like my career is more important but at the same point in time i'm the type of guy where i can shut that off i i i have that competitive atmosphere when i'm at work and i want to do a good show and I want to do a better show than my competition, but at the end of the day I can shut that off and I can hang out with them and then I can turn it back on when I get in in the morning and be like, alright, well I still want to do a good show and beat that guy even though we hung out and
1: drank six beers last night. <laughs> you know what I mean? See, that's the key. You get him drunk and then you screw him over when he tries to do his <laughs> show the next day.
0: Yeah, exactly. I've actually moved out. I don't live there anymore as of last Tuesday. There you go. Yeah. Now the war <laughs> is the on. One. Yeah. <laughs> We we all get along. We're all good friends. It doesn't matter.
1: Now, let's go the other way. We we talk about the cutthroat nature of the industry and the, sort of the, that sort of thing. But one of the things I love doing on this show is asking people, who's the one person out there that if, if a PD came to you and asked you, who should I be listening to for a hire? Who's the one person in this country right now that's working on the air that you would point to? Oh, that depends on the job. I just mean in general. I'm not talking format specifics or anything, but okay. if there was one person that you would shout out to and say that that guy is a talented person or girl, who would it be?
0: Uh, there's four. Well, there's, see, that's the thing. Is like If you really listen to radio in this country, there's a lot. Like I listen to a ton of radio in every market, in every format. And like there is a ton of talented people in this country. There's also some people that aren't that good in my personal opinion, but I mean... Overall, there's a lot of really great people in this industry, so that's a tough one to say, but I like, I listen to, uh, like, I still listen to Fred, and I think Fred and Mal are doing a great job taking over Mornings on the Edge, and I, uh, I still have nothing but respect for him, and I still really like listening to him. Um, I think is super, super good at what he does, and uh, he, to me, like, there's not a better social media guy than Ryder, like that guy. And I don't get it, because I'm younger, so I'm supposed to be better at social media than him, and I kind of make it a competition, because both him and I are pretty competitive like so we kind of have our own little bets going back and forth on stuff and i'm supposed to be better at that stuff than him and i'm just (laughs) i'm not yet (laughs) i'm trying my best but he's really really good at social media and making a brand for himself um as for guys with like smaller gigs i guess still uh i think grant johnson the evening guy on hot he just started i think he's been mentioned on this podcast before to be honest he
1: was on a rookie Um, episode yeah
0: yeah he yeah, he uh he was in Yorkton and then he ended up in Ad Hot and Edmonton uh, after I was gone. But uh, I think he's that's a creative kid. Like, that, he's got a lot going for him. He just, he, and I think he's going to be big. He just needs to keep working at it. And also, Greg Behero. Like, I I never worked with Greg and X. And to be honest, I don't know Greg overly well. But I think that guy is super creative. Like, just the way his mind works and the way he comes up with ideas and just his his little quirky, weird self, it it, it shows how intelligent he is. Like, that takes brain power to come up with the stuff that that guy comes up with. Like, it's not just a dumb, goofy act. Like, that's well thought out, planned ahead of time. And from working in a building that he works, or has worked in, I learned, like, how much work he actually puts into that stuff. And that's what's really inspiring from Gray. It's like, that guy... He works hard, and he's smart. I don't think he gets nearly, he gets a lot of credit, but I don't think he gets nearly enough credit.
1: Only guy I know that ever started his own trending hashtag about getting fired.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then people, including myself, has tried to do similar things, but it just doesn't work because you're not great.
1: I would never, I would never start fire Drew Dalby on Twitter as a hashtag because I'm terrified that it would catch on. That's the problem.
0: (laughs) And then what happens then?
1: Yeah. Greg turned Fire Greg Beharo into a viral sensation and then kept his job. It's the best of both worlds.
0: And a lot of that's Christian, though. Christian Christian is all about being creative and different. Like, if that's what you have to do to get yourself ahead and... To, to do better on social media and to do a better show then do it and Christian's totally cool with that like the fact that he got that trending in the whole city that's cool like fire Greg Beharo is trending in all of Calgary that's a great thing to have trending even though it's fire Greg Beharo but now everybody's looking at Greg Beharo's name and everyone's gonna click on it and see where he's working and why should we fire him and tune in to see why why everyone wants him fired
1: what advice would you have for somebody who's just getting started in the industry somebody who uh, what was it seven seven or eight days ago, you were just starting, I think. What would you have advice for somebody who's in that position right now?
0: <laughs> the same thing that everybody will tell you. Um, send out your demos. Email PDs, Get in touch with people. Network. Because it is a small industry, and everybody kind of knows everybody. And it's important to network and have good connections. And uh, so work on that. But also, what Christian said, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but he's 100% right. Like, learn from that. Like, If you get advice, you send a demo, and then you send another demo where you haven't even changed anything and you're doing the exact same thing as you were in the first demo from a month ago, why the hell would they keep listening to you? Why would they keep helping you? Why would they keep giving you advice if you're not going to listen to it? So if you're doing that and you're networking like that just make sure you're actually working on that stuff or else i don't know why the hell would they answer you if you're just taking your advice and throwing it out the window that's stupid why would they waste your time so don't waste people's time like that if you're going to get advice in those situations so that's a big one uh and then the other one is i think part of doing good radio is working in a good building and i've been really lucky with harvard uh that they're very adamant about building cool buildings to work at so like the hot building everyone gets along. it's great the x building everybody gets along. it's especially the on-air staff, we're all, like, best friends, and it's great, because it makes a really fun place to go to work, Um, so don't be that guy that ruins that, because that, no one wants to work with that guy, like, no one wants to work with whatever your problems may be, whether it's an ego thing, or uh, maybe you're just an asshole, who knows, (laughs) don't be, because no one wants to work with that guy, and then you bring down the vibe of the building, that hurts everybody's show, like, Everyone around you, no one wants to do a crossover break with you. Um, If someone's on after you and has to put up with you and you're a dick for an hour to them before their show starts, their show suffers too. It's not just your show. So that's not fair. So don't be that guy. Like my biggest thing that I always say when radio students ask me questions is just be the guy that is good and works hard. And you have to put work in the radio. People think it's easy. It's not. Work hard and be that good employee that works hard and has good work ethic and you know initiative to try new things and take over stuff. But at the end of the day, also be the guy that they're willing to go get a beer with because that's what's going to get you ahead, especially in an industry like this that's so social, is and everybody knows everybody, is if you can just be friendly with people and just be a good person with them, why the hell wouldn't they help you out? And then if you do a good show on top of that, then boom, you're going to get ahead way faster than anybody else. So it's be a good person and work hard and be a good employee, but also be at the end of the day the guy that your coworkers and your boss want to have a beer with.
1: So no advice about setting a second alarm clock if you've got to get up early, eh? (laughs) yeah.
0: I was waiting for you to bring that up. I can't believe I did that. That was like, man, I felt so stupid. That was like my seventh or eighth morning show ever. Like, and it was my first morning gig, and I was so excited. And then I roll over, and I look at the clock, and it's 7. <laughs> and my show starts at 5.30, and then Lynch was uh, had some family stuff to was in Halifax. So There's no one there, and I'm like, oh, my God, I am in so much shit right now. <laughs> and then I, I roll in, I get in there by 7.30, and uh, I don't know, work for an hour and a half, and then the show's over, and uh go into Christian's office, and he's like, you better make this funny. Like, you better turn this into a thing. He's like, I won't be mad but only if you can turn it into something and own it. And I'm like, all right, like fair enough, I'll try my best. And then I got in the next morning and he bought me like 10 alarm clocks. (laughs) They were in the box (laughs) of the studio desk.
1: (laughs) See, and I feel bad now for selling you out, so I will admit for the first time, and I've never told anybody this, uh, when I was doing mornings out in Smithers, B.C. for a station called The Peak, uh, Mm -hmm. I was the morning guy I was a solo morning guy. I came in one morning at seven thirty. So I've got you beat. I slept in later than there you, you did. Go. But there to you be go. fair, um the ex listening audience is about five times bigger than the population of the town that I did it in. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I've made better choices. That was probably my biggest one of my biggest F ups so far <laughs> it was that. But uh, Chris I think Christian like you kinda have to expect like I'm a young dude and I'm not a morning guy. Like when it comes to like just waking up, I right. I, I love my sleep. But um, I, so I think he kind of maybe expected it to happen because I've been doing afternoons and evenings my whole career, and then before that was college. So I, I've never had to get up early for anything since high school. So I think maybe kind of saw it coming a little bit at one point. It just it was unfortunate that it happened the week that Lynch was also away.
1: Right. Yeah. Any other time, it's it's it a funny fun. bit, and you're good. Yeah. But you guys see it.
0: When he's away, it's four minutes of traffic beds. Great. <laughs> There's nothing more terrifying than driving and listening to your traffic bed, knowing that you're supposed to be talking, and you're just like, oh, it's <laughs> just going to keep going.
1: Well, kudos to you for owning it and for moving past it and for uh, doing this uh, fantastic little morning show you guys have down there, X929 in Calgary. I will get out of the way, but I will say thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I will let you wrap it up. Uh, we always let our guest pick the spin of the week. And coming from a station like X, I'm, I'm fairly curious as to what you're going to go with here.
0: I uh, I had to do some thinking about this, but like Royal Blood, I am, am obsessed with that band and that album. Like, they, those guys are amazing. And then they announced that they're opening for Foo Fighters on their tour, and they're, they're going to be coming to Calgary. And I'm like, oh, this is exciting. So I'm going to pick Royal Blood, come on over, because I love that song. <laughs> No, yeah. Follow the show online at Off Mic Podcast on Twitter, or like the show on Facebook. If there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show, email
1: offmicpodcast at gmail.com. The Off Mic Podcast is a part of the Dolby Radio Network.